my favorite of the two kids in the canoe. I'm like, is the, the dad's just having fun filming that. I mean, they have to be told to get out of the boat, right? And I don't know, it's just really funny. I don't know I, about you, but I feel bad sometimes laughing at those. Um, even though I secretly enjoy it, one of my favorite shows is America's Funniest Home Videos. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, okay, all of you, thank you. What else do you do on Sunday night in America, right? You watch America's Funniest Home Videos. That was even a Sunday night tradition in our family. Uh, we just get into these rhythms and routines. Uh, a grilled cheese on a cool Sunday night, watching America's Funniest Home Videos. I've even had one of my sons say, Dad, why do you always make grilled cheese for this show? I'm like, it's just a tradition. It's just a memory, you know? So, I, I, you know, we watch that show, and I, like, it's secretly awesome to laugh at someone else's pain. Even there was only like two of you when the girl had her arm stuck in the helmet. I think like two of you laughed. And then everyone else looked like, I can't believe you're laughing at that one, right? But it somehow made the blooper real. There's some, even some moments that I have recorded videos of my children, one of my other secrets that's now not, no longer a secret because this is on the World Wide Web today. For all of you Facebook uh, folks who are watching, um, I really want to be on there one day, but I don't want to experience the pain. And so if my children are in a dangerous situation, I pull up my phone. I'm like, here goes, here's my chance, right? Um, I may have sent a few videos in to America's Funniest Home Videos, but it's yet to happen. But one day when it does, I will let the world know. I don't care about the $10,000. Oh, maybe that would be awesome to win. I just want one of my sons to be on the show. Anyways, that's just me, because one day it's going to happen. Uh, thanks for coming to Encounter Church today. We're starting off a series called Raising Losers. Now, I know, like myself, when I even think about this idea of raising losers, it's interesting, right? And so many of you are probably thinking, where is this going? What are we going to be talking about? Today we're going to be setting the stage for the loser part, right? And we're going to be focusing more so on the raising. And today we're going to set the stage for that because we want to set a foundation for what it means and what, it's, what it means as a parent to have a responsibility that's actually been given to us by God the way that he created the world. We even think about um, history in, in Christianity and these, in these um, cycles of creation, the fall, and redemption. That God created the world to be good. He created the world to be perfect. But man chose sin, right? But then God had a plan to redeem that. And he sent someone named Jesus. And Jesus had a different plan. And Jesus can restore and has restored and is still restoring today the brokenness that exists in all of us. But babies are cute, aren't they? Right? For some reason, when you see a baby, you have permission to go up to a stranger and get in their face and start this language that no one understands, including the baby. Goo goo gaga. If you say goo goo gaga and, and not around an infant, you're like a psycho. You're like, what's wrong with that kid? Right? Or what's wrong with that guy? You don't. But Rachel and I experienced this as, as new parents. And I, I guess we were, oh man, I guess maybe 28, 29 years old. Uh, Josiah was three months old and different convictions of parents, no judgment. You don't have to be like me as a parent, right? But we, were, we were in student ministry, and so you know, we were serving in a church and as a pastor. And, and as soon as our kids you know, were like six, seven weeks old, whatever, we just kind of jumped into normal life. Where they went, we went. We didn't let them adjust our schedule. They just kind of went along life with us. And so at three months old, we took him to a college football game. What else are you supposed to be? Some of you are secretly judging me. Some of you are judging me out loud because you just left. Oh, how could you do that, right? It was a mistake, I confess. So it's September 2009, and we head to a football game. 
And uh, just in the beginning part of the football game, he's born in June. This is September, so he's about three months old. And so this lady right beside my wife says, oh, a cute baby, and just goes in to grab him. Now, I know that this has never happened to you, but it happened to us. And you're in that moment of like, no, or I guess. Like, what do you do? And so this, this woman just grabs him, and she had had a little bit too much to drink. That was evident. And some of you are like, well, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Like, but common sense isn't so common. Anybody? <laughs> and when you look back, you're like, oh, that's what I should have done. Well, everyone around us felt bad for us because they could kind of see what's happening. Well, she takes poor Josiah. He's not in this room. He'll probably never hear this story until he's like maybe 40 years old because it might scar him if he finds out what happened. And so she takes him and places him right here. That's all I'll say right there. Um, and so she places him, and she starts bouncing him up and down. I'm like, you're going to hurt him. What are you doing? I was like, Rachel, grab him. She goes, how? How do I grab him? And all these parents were looking, all these folks were looking around, like, forget the football game. What's going on right here? They're looking, and they're going, what are they doing? What is she doing? She's like, he's so cute. What's his name? I'm like, we're right here. You don't have to scream at us, right? And I'm like, Rachel, you have to go change him right now. She goes, that's a good idea. She goes, I have to take my baby now. Probably, you know, the longest two minutes of my life, right? When someone is holding our cute baby, because they felt permission to jump in and grab him and hold him and shake him violently up and down in the hot 90-degree weather. Needless to say, Rachel and Josiah never came back to those seats. And I found that about 15 minutes later, maybe I should go find my family. What am I doing here, right? Babies are cute, and for some reason, everyone thinks that they're fair game, right? Now, you are a better parent than I, and you didn't let anyone touch or hold your baby, and I know you put a cage around them, but that's just the honesty, what happened to us. But something changes soon, doesn't it? They begin to move, right? And as soon as they begin to move, what happens? Some people call it, you know, the terrible twos, but it starts before that. You have to do what? What do you have to do when they start moving? Anybody help me out? This is, this is not rhetorical. What do you have to do? You have baby games. Oh, baby gates. Yeah. I was like, baby games. I don't play baby games. <laughs> I don't know what that is, Anna, but I don't, play any, I don't play no baby games. No, baby gates. That's true because you have to draw boundaries, right? You have to draw boundaries, and then you have to begin teaching them. It's an interesting concept that you really don't correct a child until they begin to move, isn't it? Now, you may want to correct them because they're screaming, but they're not going to understand you. But until that point, right, things seem to be a little bit different. But then you enter a new phase as a parent. As soon as they begin to move, you have to correct them. You have to draw boundaries. And at the core of Christian theology, we believe that the world is broken. And we believe that the world is fallen. And we see that even from birth. Things aren't right. Some, even some of the toughest situations I've been in as a pastor is to walk into a room with a child that's not going to make it. Or a child that's not going to live a quote-unquote normal life because of something that was found even at birth. And things are fun and games until they begin to move and you have to correct them. You have to get baby gates. Or for some of you, maybe you play baby games when they start moving. I don't know. But you have to start doing things different, don't, don't you? And you realize, oh, this isn't so much fun, Right? You don't have to teach your kid to do bad, do you? But you have to teach them to do good. At the core of Christian theology, we believe that the world is broken, and we believe that the world has fallen. Even last night, Rachel and I invited our street. We live in a cul-de-sac in the Green Lodge neighborhood in Dedham. And so we just kind of invited everyone over. Hey, come on. 
we're going we're gonna to grill out um, and come and have a good time, put some games out. And so we sat around a fire with a bunch of neighbors. <laughs> things went political, things went religious, things went all over the place. And I'm like, please, God, don't let them ask my opinion. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, things were crazy. And uh, we, we had one guy, he's a tradesman, he works in the city. He's talking about, you know, about all the codes in Boston. Every code has a code that you can't understand. And this is my world, I don't understand it. And at the end of it, because I was even thinking about today, I'm like, the world's broken. Just the world's broken. And there's a cop beside me. We got cop, we got firefighters, we got tradesmen, we got a, a pastor in the community. I don't know why you're laughing, right? When I tell people what I do for a living, they're like, oh, that's admirable. You know, I actually got told at a Red Sox game uh, last week, and uh, a guy was asking, what are you doing? We were sitting in some really swanky seats, right, Rachel, right, Angela, if Angela's in the room. Um, a friend of our friends, right, gave us some nice seats, and I asked the guy what he did for a living, and he was in sales, very successful, and he said, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor at a local church <laughs> in Westwood. He goes, oh, that's admirable. You can see it on his face. How, 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 why are you sitting here, right? And I, I answered a question he didn't even ask me. I said, actually, uh, some friends gave me the seats. Oh, that's admirable, too. And that really happens. And so last night, we're doing what people do and complain about the difficulties of the world. And I'm hearing this brokenness. Even someone confessed something that happened to them years ago. I'm like, wow, this is getting really interesting on a Saturday night, right? But I'm like, the world's broken. And, and it doesn't start when you become an adult, does it? The world's broken. And at the core of Christian theology, what I mentioned a second ago, is we believe that we're born into this idea of sin, that we're destined to make mistakes, Right? Because of the world that we live in and because of sin that's a reality in all of our lives, it starts from infancy. It even starts from the moment you're conceived that we live in a world that's broken and fallen and no one, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter how much effort, no matter the education, no matter the family strength or weakness, no matter the consistency, no one, no one, no one is perfect. No one. It's impossible. But you have given a responsibility as a parent to raise a child. And that responsibility is big. Now, let me say this before we jump in further. Some of you could say, well, I guess this series isn't going to matter as much to me because my kids are, you know, long gone. Or my kids are out of the home. Or maybe even it's too late. Or maybe you could even say today when you hear this series and this idea, like, well, I don't have kids. I'm, I'm the single, you know, person. And so this really isn't going to be as applicable for me. I would say that it is going to be applicable to everyone. And a conversation, even a couple of days ago, with someone in my neighborhood and uh, struck up a conversation well into their 80s. And they were having a rough day, and I kind of asked the same question twice, and how, how are you doing? And the first time you get kind of the answer that any, anyone gives, and I said, no, how, how are you doing? And basically after you know, some brief conversation, it was very evident that they're going through a great life struggle with their children that are in their 50s. You never lose being a parent, right? The role changes, the responsibility changes, even your authority in their life changes, but the relationship is always there. And there are struggles well into your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, right? And God willing, if you live to your 90s. If you're not a parent yet, I would say now is the best time to jump in and to ruminate over these principles. It's just to think and to reflect, right? Now, I understand to be a parent, you, have to, you actually have to have a child, and you have to learn yourself. And to have a healthy marriage, you can read books on marriages before you get married. It's not going to make you a great husband or father, but it can sure help eliminate some of the obstacles if you can learn. 
The principle can be seen here in finances. So many people along the way have said, why don't we teach finances in high school? Why don't people learn before, before they actually make money what to do with it? The same idea is true here. Learn the principles of relationships and family and, and children before you have them. It will set you up for a better time at the batter's box, so to speak. If you learn now some of these principles, so no matter who you are, where you are, if you have children, if they're out of the home, or if you plan to have children one day, I know this series can be powerful for you. Some of the challenges that we face in this um, before we jump into these three principles is that some of you are already ready to give up. You're already at a point where you're like, this is hard. And I can tell you even from my own journey that the best of times and the worst of times happens where? At your home address, right? It's the best of times and it is the worst of times at times, right? It's difficult. It's hard. And sometimes even in formal settings where someone asks a pastor's opinion or they're, they're seeking counsel, I'm like, I'm facing that at home. And the answer is, I don't have a clue. It's hard. And on Tuesday, I figured out, Wednesday, it all falls apart, right? I have this moment where shepherding, encouraging my child through a difficult thing at school, and I'm like, all right, he's got it. He's got it. You know, he gets it. The light bulb came on, and then it, he wakes up, and he steps on the light bulb, right? And you're like, we just talked about this yesterday, right? Like, Don't you understand? Like, I, I know the journey is hard. And the longer you've been in the fight, the longer you've been in the defeat, the more you think it's actually going to be pointless for you to put your energy back into it. I've been in many one-on-one settings where folks are ready to give up. And when I hear the story and I hear this scenario, sometimes I'm just thinking, I understand why you feel that way. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying you should pursue and just give up. But I understand why people feel that way. Some of you may have heard this story before, but this is seen in a phenomenon that's actually called learned helplessness. So there's a lot of research that goes into this with both animal and human behavior. But the idea of learned helplessness can actually be seen um, in an elephant. The ways that elephants are trained, those that are going to be based in like circus activity or zoo activity, they are chained from the time of birth after they wean off of their, their mother. They're chained from the back, one of their back legs um, using a rope. And that rope is attached to a solid structure. And immediately... Um, that reaction kicks in for them to set themselves free. And so what do they do? They pull and they pull and they yank and they fight. They fight to get off. And it doesn't matter if someone, uh, you know, a little brother or sister elephant comes over and helps. They cannot set themselves free from being chained to the rope. What eventually happens after weeks and months is what would happen to you and I when faced with difficulty. Eventually we learn that this is just going to be the way that it is. And what do we do? We give up. Eventually, as that elephant gets older, they learn not to fight. And very quickly, because of the size, the strength, the grandeur of an elephant, the elephant can quickly learn that it could break that rope if it tried. But it learns not to. And so what does it do? It accepts its environment and stops fighting. So many of you may feel like that in a relationship. So many of you might feel that way with children, even if they're young. I mean, I've heard young parents, you know, seven, eight years old, and they've already placed labels on their kids and just said, this is just going to be the way that it is, right? And I'm telling you, it's not. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. It is difficult, but there are things that you can do. 
And we really do believe over the next few weeks that we're going to give you some helpful, practical um, ideas and principles that will help you parent in a way that's different than the way you did yesterday. First, I want to bring up the, the one verse we're going to talk about today. But before I do, I want to give you two ideas. In the scripture, we find that there are principles and there are promises. Sometimes they relate and sometimes they don't. What's hard about Bible interpretation, and I get it, I've heard it from many people that may take some time to read the Bible, like, I don't know, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do, like, I know I should read the Bible, but when I start reading, I'm like, what is this, what does this mean? There's a lot of difficulty in interpreting the Bible. After years of seminary and advanced education in it, I still uh, have the same difficulties that some of you. Why, what, when, context, is this applicable, if so, how, like, what does this mean, What's going on in Jerusalem at the world at the time? Well, yeah, there's just a lot in Bible interpretation. One of the ideas is that there are principles that are spoken that can be applied in many different contexts in many different ways. And then there are promises that God makes that are true of all people everywhere all the time. The challenge is identifying what's what. Well, there's a verse I'm going to read in just a few moments that you could read as a parent. You could go, Whew, I'm glad that's going to be the case. But I'm going to give you a warning. It's not a promise. In fact, there are promises in parenting. But there are also principles. And this one is a principle. You can read it. It does read as a promise, which makes it difficult. But you could know because you'd be like, I know people where that's not true. That makes the Bible untrue. And I would say that's not the case. Okay, let's read this scripture together. Found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off on the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. Let's read it again. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now let's think about this as a promise. We'll keep it up there for a little bit, okay? So as folks can read and reflect on it. Now, if this is a promise, you're like, all right, I'm heading in the right direction right now. And when they leave the home, they're going to be fine, right? They're going to be good. They're going to stick to it, right? You're like, whoo, this is good. All right, so all right, what do I have to do? Tell me, coach, just tell me the play, right? You're telling me I'm going to be successful? Just tell me the play. I'm going to do it. This is a principle. And while it's difficult, I even wrestled this week, well, how do I describe the difference in like a principle and a promise? I want you to think about more of this as a principle to be applied. Now, if you read this as a principle, you take away the promise idea that, listen, you, your responsibility as a parent is to lead and guide children. Even another way in an older version of this scripture says, train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. Very similar to what you read here. Start children off in the right direction. And if you have that direction, when they are old, they won't turn. Now, the truth is, many people have started children off and they are headed in the right direction and they turned. So you're like, all right, God, I'm struggling here with this with this verse and with this idea. But if you read it as a principle, you understand that there are some things that you have to do and that you can do in the lives of children that they will never, ever forget. They can't. And the idea here, even in the language, the Hebrew language, is that there is a mental and a psychological and an emotional influence that you shape in them forever. Now, even that thought is the good news and the bad news, isn't it? Like, that's the worst of times, because, man, I have scarred them already, and they'll never forget it, right? 
So there are some good things and some not so good things here. But you would say, even as an adult, if you're listening to this, you'd say, well, that's true. I remember some things in the way that I was shaped, the way that I was encouraged or not encouraged that have forever marked me, right? And what this is saying is that if you point them in the right direction, they will never, ever forget. And what they need is to know the way. What they need is for someone to point them in the right direction, right? Now, I can teach an idea of like, healthy finances, and I can even teach God's perspective of finances, and I can tell, talk to my children about what it means to save, and what it means to be generous, and what it means to be diligent. There's nothing wrong with borrowing money, but the Bible actually says there's something wrong when you don't pay it back. What does it mean that, to be diligent with someone that loans you money? Bible says you're a fool if you borrow money and you can't pay it back, right? What does it mean to be wise in the way that you borrow, in the way that you give, in the way that you save? And they can, if I teach that well, for an example, they will always remember. That does not promise that they will choose, but they will know the way. And the day that they walk out the home, none of us, none of us will be fully content saying, I did everything I could do. There will always be more. In fact, some of you are going to like this series because you're just going to reflect back and you're going to think, oh, I should have, I could have. And I know that stinks. And I'm, tell I'm telling you today that it's not too late. It's too late to parent them the way that you could when you was 12. It is too late. You're welcome, son and daughter. But it's not too late to be an encouragement. It's not too late to pray for them. It's not too late when they ask for help that you can actually give solid advice, right? I want to tell you that your influence is never done. When I speak with my mom and my dad, their influence is not finished with me. They can speak words of hope. They can speak words of life. And they can say, listen, I know that you're praying for Josiah. And I know there's been some difficulties. But i got to tell you, I, we had difficulties with you, right? No, that's probably not what she's going to say. But that is true. That is the case, right? There's never too late to bring hope and bring encouragement. So this verse begs the question, how do I start them off? How do I train them? What do I do? The first thing I want to share is this. You'll see this on the screen. Raising kids that pursue and honor God requires training. Raising kids that pursue and honor God requires training. Now, this idea is obviously a biblical principle. And the Bible principle says if you train a child up in the way he should go, you're like, well, what way? This is a way that honors God. Ultimately, you have different convictions that you have financially, morally, ethically, like whether you're a Christian, we would hope that if someone has faith in Christ, that their idea is to honor God. But even people that aren't Christians can say, you know what, I have this idea of how I want my kids to, to live. I want them to be, and what I heard last night, even in our community time, right, in my neighborhood, I want them to be moral. I want them to be ethical, right? But this is a biblical thing. This is Christian. We're not going to raise kids that just do a good job in worlds of, of giving back. We want to raise kids that do a good job and give back and serve their community. But ultimately, we want to say we want to raise children to honor who God is. And if their life can honor God, then you can know as a parent, you too have honored God. So what does it look like for a parent to honor God? That's why this says that uh, raising kids that pursue and honor God requires training. Now, this idea of training, let's think about it for just a few moments. There's two different types. There's preventative and corrective. Most of us, by default, live in the corrective form of parenting. Now, that happens when you see a problem, you do what? You correct it. It starts as soon as they begin to move. Now, Josiah, he was one of those 
um, early movers. And so at nine months old, you know, parents are all excited for the first time when they stand up. And then day two changes. You're like, no, nah, can you go back to sitting and, and just looking at me, right? I remember calling Rachel. She was gone. And I said, you won't believe this, but like Josiah stood up tonight. And, uh, you know, the next couple of days, he just flew, right? That, uh, when that begins, we start corrective training. Hey, don't touch that. Don't do this. You know, there's a place for it. It has to happen. It should happen, right? When we correct and we guide their mistakes. And even it's kind of, and sometimes easier, not in the attitude, but sometimes it's easier to do corrective training when they're children because they don't know any better, right? When they don't know any better, parenting seems to be a little bit easier. That's when you don't discipline. That's when you teach. And sometimes it's easy to get those confused, isn't it? So when a child makes a mistake, do we discipline them for touching something they shouldn't or do we just teach them? We teach them. But the moment they know better, that's when it changes. That's when it's like, okay, you're doing something out of disobedience. That's when we get into corrective, corrective discipline. But this idea of corrective training just says teach them. They don't know how to handle their finances. Don't blame them when, when you know, Nana gives them $25. Nana, you don't have to give them $25. You're probably listening online today. But when Nana gives them $25, they want to blow it yesterday, right? They just have to be taught because you and I are the same way. You get some extra money. You're like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to spend this, right? We're the same way. But they have to be taught. They don't need to be corrective discipline. They need to be taught. But I would suggest today that this idea of training that's required of you is more preventative than corrective. You live in the world of correction. The moment they make a, a mistake, you do what? You correct them. And you say, no, not that. This, right? Or not this, but that. What if you lived in the world of preventative training? To go back to our analogy, you could say that money is like that. Your children, unless they got a side hustle you don't know about, they don't make any money, right? The best time to teach them about money is when they don't have it, not when they do. And so what does it look like for you to take $10 and talk about putting aside some? Now, some of your kids, I hear these personalities, you're either spenders or savers. Self-confession, raise your hand if you're a spender. All right, pretty much everybody. Good. Thank you, America. Any savers? Oh, okay, okay. You know, the savers are like, I don't want to be humble, but like me, like... Seriously, the spenders were like, me? You got some money? Got some money? That, only I could see that, right? And the savers were like, I got some money. Five dollars, you know? Children are, are no different. They either have one, typically one, one bent or another, right? But what if we taught them about saving? What if we taught them to give? What if we taught them that? And it's, it's difficult. What if we taught them in the ways that um, my parents encouraged me to do? Hey, what if you saved half of every dollar you had during your teenage years. You know what? When you got to be 18, you'd find yourself with a lot of money. It doesn't matter what a lot is, but a lot is more than you had, right? What if you taught them? The same idea is in, in the principles of, I would say, in uh, intimacy and marriage, if I could just say it that way, okay, to be sensitive to our to audience. What, what about intimacy and marriage? The best time to teach them about physical relationships and intimacy and marriage is before they actually start. So we had that awkward conversation, me and Josiah, um, just a couple of, couple of months ago. And uh, while it was fun and awkward and weird all at the same time, that I wanted to beat, beat that conversation. I wanted to have that conversation and beat the world before they had that conversation with him. Right? So pretty much I can tell you this and stand confidently here today. I don't know what his choices are going to be, but I can tell you this. He knows everything he needs to know, at least as a nine-year-old, to know that this is something that God designed 
It's a good and glorious thing, and that God intended it in the context between, between two people, one man, one woman, in the idea of marriage. And it is a good, God-honoring thing. The world's going to show you everything else, and its shelf life is very short. But what God intended for physical intimacy was between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, in a relationship, and it is awesome. So right now, he's like, I know what that's about. It's awesome, right? <laughs> and he said some really funny things to me, uh, even a couple of days later. He goes, so is it like an activity? I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, next please, next question, yes, it's an activity, okay. And uh, he's been wanting a little baby brother or sister a couple of months ago at the dinner table. He's like, Dad, you think we could like, have a little sister? I'm like, no. <laughs> he goes, but yes, you can. You told me that you could do that. I'm like, no. He's like, well, that's honestly what he did. Anyway, so the idea of preventative is to have the conversation and to teach before it's an issue, right? And this idea of resiliency, let me hit a pause here in this message and say, please sign up. For next Sunday night, we're doing a parenting seminar or afternoon. Is 4.30 afternoon or night? I don't know. Is it in between? Whatever. 4.30 here in this room. If you haven't signed up, sign up on the app today for our parenting seminar. It's about raising resiliency in kids. And the idea that we're going to be going, even in the rest of this series and the parenting seminar that we're doing at 4.30 next Sunday afternoon, evening, is, is teaching them that when life doesn't go their way, when life is difficult because it will be, how do you respond? How do you teach them to lose and to lose well? How do you teach them to deal with the blows? I was talking with someone this morning. I said, it's the idea of a boxer. You know what a great boxer does? Now, I can't speak from an area of expertise, but only in principle and ideas. Great boxers learn to not only throw punches, but to take punches, right? One reason why they're jealous of their amazing core, their abs are giving birth to abs when you see a boxer on television. Like, how is it possible? Right? But they learn to, to, to deal with blows by tightening their core, by having a really strong body, not just the quickness of, of throwing punches, but they learn to deal with the blows. How do we do that with children? How do we learn to teach them? Listen, there's going to be a phase in your life when you feel like you don't have any friends. And even Josiah, he said that as a first grader because I already feel that way. How do you teach them that even parents feel like that sometimes, that Moms and dads, and some of you could say, even in my workplaces, people are nice to me, but I don't have any friends there. Like I, even some of you could say about your family, like I, I talk to my family, but I'm not really close to them. How do you teach them to deal with loneliness? We cannot wait until they're 16, 17, 18, until they're so far deep that we teach them how to deal with that, how to make friends, right? Preventative training is required from a very young age. And so no matter who you are, where you are, how old your children are, we have to think what can I help them prepare for in the future? And you can make a long list. And you can even say over some of those things, I don't have a clue. I know they have to learn this, but I don't know what to teach them. I hope the rest of the series is going to inform you and give you ideas and principles of what we can do to actually train children. i got to say this too. Not that the church can fully prepare your children, but you know what your children are doing right now that aren't in this room? They're getting training, Right? We want to not just tell them that God loves them, that God wants a relationship with them, but this context and here at Encounter Church, we really do believe that this will be a place where children can thrive because they can meet and learn about a holy God that loves them. And they can not only can meet and learn about a holy God that loves them, but they can learn to deal with life the way that it is, and it's real, and it's hard. 
raising kids that pursue and honor God also requires faithfulness. And this is the idea I hit earlier that some of you feel like you, give, you want to give up, right? It requires faithfulness. It requires you to say that no matter what happens, no matter where it happens, I am wholly committed to their development. And I don't mean just to their presence. What I mean today is wholly committed to developing who they are. There are moments, even in my young years of being a dad, that I feel like, okay, I've said it enough, I'm done. Even that attitude, that attitude exists in me. We're like, all right, you're going to choose what you choose. You know the rules. Okay, I feel like, go, you know, just do what you want to do. I have that feeling sometimes, even parenting a nine and a seven-year-old, right? We have to be wholly committed to their development. And what that means is that you will be faithful to them no matter what. This is actually easier. This is an interesting thought. I have more of bringing up the thought rather than I do the reasoning behind why it exists and the psychological development. But sometimes we find that people are more committed to their children than they are to their spouse. And that's true for a lot of people. Now, a lot of people are, are quickly living or willing to give up a spouse relationship, but they're never willing to give up their kid. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting when you think about that. It came up a few weeks ago, even in, I believe it was my life group setting on Sunday night that meets at my home. I think, yeah, that's when it came up. We were talking about and it hit me. I thought about that for days. I was like, that's true, right? In relationships, very few people come in and say, hey, can I talk about my kid? We're about to get a divorce. I've never heard that. And it hit me, and it just, oh, why is that, God? I do have some reasonings. That's not really the point of this, of this message today. But think about that full commitment that you have to your son or your daughter. Like, it's there. It's deep, right? It runs deep. That no matter what you say, no matter what you do, I'll never give up on you. Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. I know parent-child relationships that are strained and that are non-existent. I've heard even stories from some of you that say, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even talk to my parents, and here's why. Now, some boundaries need to be there. Some boundaries need to be there for very, very good reasons. I'm not saying that you have to be best friends with your, with your mom or dad, but some of you have learned and have lived in the reality of not having a relationship with your parents. So this faithfulness idea, it is all over the board. But if you're going to fully commit to raising them in a way that honors God, in a way that sets the stage for them to pursue God, you have to be fully committed to their development. The next thing is that raising kids that pursue and honor God requires time. It requires time. Time has, it is, and it will escape us. Growing up, you know, when you go to a family reunion or you see someone you haven't seen in a long time, you kind of get tired of people saying the same old things. Oh, I remember when you were. Oh, I remember when you were, you know. I remember when you were. I'm just kidding. No one's ever done that part. But, like, if you think about, listen, if you think about time, there's a reason when you connect with someone, you're like, Wow. Or someone says, how old are your children now? And I say, well, they're nine and they're seven. And someone says, really? I remember when, you know, time is just this crazy thing that's escaping us, isn't it? And if we're not fully, fully committed to giving time, it's going to be impossible to raise them in a way that pursues and honors God. It requires your time. I don't know about your calendar, um, or your personal rhythms, or your family calendar, but it's so easy to like schedule when they have to have their lunches made, and you schedule when they're going off to school, you schedule their appointment, 
You schedule their travel sports. You schedule fill in the blank, right? You got family vacation. You got work commitments. You got meetings that sometimes get scheduled early in the morning. You got meetings that are scheduled late at night. I want to tell you this. Raising kids that soar. Raising kids who are doing well and are healthy and that are pursuing and are honoring to God. Listen, it's hard and it's a long, long journey, but it requires intentional time. And I would say for some of you, you need to pull out. I don't have my phone on me. I feel like I always do have my phone on me, but imagine my phone here. You got to open up your phone and you got to schedule time with them. And I don't care how old they are. It, it, doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter the age, right? It doesn't matter if they're out of the home. I would say carve out time on a regular basis to pursue them. If it's just a conversation, a phone call, if it's a time having coffee with your adult child, carving out time to say what needs to be said and to do what needs to be done. Or for me, carving out time that says Thursday night, there's nothing else. I have a personal rhythm. Um, I do, do this fairly well because I've learned the mistake of not doing it well. When I get home, the phone always kind of stays in my bag because I bike a good bit. It always stays in my bag or it goes to my nightstand because I say, you know what, this time, even though sometimes you get home at 5.30, you eat dinner at 6, by the time you finish dinner, they're like taking a shower, getting ready for bed. You're like, did I have any time with them, right? It's like 15 minutes and they're going to bed. I know time is escaping us. And if it's not intentional and carved out, then we lose it. We lose it. We don't want to get tomorrow and want to look back to today and say, I wish I could spend more time. So what does it look like for you, even this week, to say, I'm going to carve out space, I'm going to carve out time, and I am going to invest. Maybe some of that preventative training comes in. Last night, because of some crazy, I get just crazy conversation, you know, I did, I climbed in the bed last night, and it was a good moment for preventative training. I said, Josiah, you heard some craziness tonight, didn't you? And I, I said, we love everybody. Dad's crazy. Mom's, mom's really crazy. Like, you're crazy. Like, we aren't any better or any worse than anybody else, right? But he said, yeah, that was interesting. We just had a conversation about everything that came up. It's just preventative. I said, one day when you were a teenager, one day when you're an adult, one day and we start talking about boundaries, it was just a good 10-minute conversation that life presented itself with me last night. But that required me going upstairs and taking the time to talk about life. Not anybody else, not any other neighbor, but just life. So many of you feel like even these three ideas, sometimes we don't know how to train, right? I, like, I hear you, pastor, I, I, I want to train, but I don't know how to train, right? And some of you would say, well, I, I hear you on the idea of like faithfulness, but I, I know there are moments I want to give up, but of course I'm never going to give up. No matter what happens, you make this commitment. Some of you are like, no, I, I want to give up. You do feel like it's too late. And then finally, this idea of time. Yeah, I don't have much time, but how do I seize the time? How do I make the most of that 15-minute window? This afternoon, when some of you don't have much on the plate today, there could be 10 minutes of incredible conversation between you and your children if you would start it. And I know it's not always perfect. You're like, I start the conversation. They just don't go well. I know that requires training too. How do you start the conversation? How do you ask questions rather than give answers, right? There's a lot of things that you can do. Hold on this month because we want to help you raise, not losers, let me be clear. We want to help you raise children that win in spite of the losses they, they are facing. 
and in spite of the losses they will face. Because when you get into the, the ring as a boxer, the blows are coming, right? And you can't stop them. It doesn't matter how much you pay for private school or if it's public or if it's homeschool. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. They're not insured success. It doesn't matter how many conversations you have about fill in the blank. It doesn't mean that they will choose. But this principle is true today. If you train them in the way they should go, they will not depart. They will always know. They will always remember. And they will never, ever forget. Let's pray.